And good to see all of you here today. Another beautiful day, huh? No smoke. Sun, big sky, all the things we live in Montana for, right? Well, let's take our Bibles this afternoon. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we'll just come back. We want to review and maybe, God willing, tidy up, bring together with some sense of I was going to say closure, but I'm going to say an opening to really see what God is wanting us to see. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 will begin in verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation you were called. The holiness to be with long suffering, for bearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the body. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word and let us pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we are coming to you with anticipation, with thankfulness. As we just study the word, your awesomeness, as you reveal it to us as much as we're able to handle. There is no end to your awesomeness. There's no beginning. An infinite God that has revealed himself to us in your word that we have just in these moments now, preciously laid out for us. We would ask that our teacher today would be the Holy Spirit, that you take our minds, our thoughts, everything that makes us who you've made us, and make us more Christ-like. Chip away where things we don't need. Help us Internally, that inner man, as we're going to be talking about today, that the Holy Spirit using the truth, this Word of God, to shape us, mold us, make us just what you want us to be. May we look a little bit more like Jesus Christ, even after these moments we'll be sharing with you. Our lives and the lives of others. each one that's come out, their families and themselves, we'd ask that you'd bless them and be with them in all that they do and say that you would be glorified. That is our goal. That is our thoughts because of all that you've done for us. Now we pause to thank you again for all that you've done, particularly the giving of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Ephesians. I probably shouldn't have a favorite book, but I do. (laughs) Ephesians is that book for me. And we come to chapter 4, and uh, and some of this will be review. We're just bringing ourselves back to where we we were uh, those few weeks ago. But 
Paul, after the first three chapters, telling us all that we are in Christ, who he is to us, is now wanting us to get on with it. He wants us to walk a worthy walk, as he's basically saying in verse 1. A worthy walk. And sometimes, I know we mentioned this before, but it's, it's easy for us as we, maybe someone new comes to Christ, or I'd say someone is, becomes a new believer in Christ. And it's so easy to get that list out. Now, just pray and read the Bible and go to church and get these friends and get rid of those friends. And you see, there's this long list of things, and it's like we're really helping them out. Right? <laughs> you know, we're really not. That's all outside stuff. Now, by the way, the outside stuff is fine, but it must come from the inside because that's where the work is. That's where the metamorphosis that takes place. If it's just trying to get somebody, even, even actually there's people that have come, well, I'm probably not ready to come to Christ because there's some stuff I've got to clean up. Oh, no, stop, 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 stop. Let him do that work. Let him do that work because it'll be just completely worthless, wasted time for you to spend one more minute away from him trying to do something that you can't do anyway. Right? And this is really cool. So here we have Paul, and he's telling everything that we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to really, how do you want to say it? Again, thinking right to live right. And, you know, you cannot live right until you think right. But these things that you're walking worthy, that's a call. That's a calling that he's doing. He's really literally reaching out there, wanting you to see the eminency of, now I want you to walk worthy of everything that you've been called to do. I want you to be who you are. Sometimes we get so caught up in the doing part of Christianity, right? Do, 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 do. Nothing wrong with that, but it's way more important of who you are. Who you are. And there's five attitudes, inner attitudes, that allow a worthy walk. And he walks us through that, and then at the end of that, there's a purpose. And we sometimes miss this purpose. What would you say is missing in the church today? I, know, I, know I, I don't even know if I have a board big enough to do this, right? The only thing I could probably make it longer is, what's wrong with our world today? I've got to go get, let me go see. I'll go get another blackboard, right? Or another whiteboard, right? What would you say, and, and I, I don't even know, I, I, it's not in my notes, but what's wrong with the church today? What would you say? And I'm talking the church, I'm not talking about this building, I'm, not talking, I'm talking about those that have trusted Christ as Savior. Those that literally have, according to Romans chapter 8 verse 9, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within every single person that is saved by Jesus Christ. That's, that's, not, that's not up for grabs, that's real. So that living organism, that church, that where Christ is the head, what's wrong with the church today? That's really quite honestly true, isn't it? And actually, these characteristics we're going to talk about are some of the reasons that we don't put God first. Nobody's thankful. Nobody's thankful. And why is that? Because we don't put God first. <laughs> isn't it true? Absolutely. It's, that, that really is... You guys are on a roll. We've got to keep going for a little while. What else? Too much world in the in the church, and not enough church in the world. It's exactly right. Now, acts, that, and that's what we're going to be talking about that really, because you know what, the world doesn't want any more church. No. You know why? Because the church isn't enough different. Just as you just basically said, 
If you ask the world today, do they want the church? And they say, why? Why? What else could we say? What's wrong with the church? Not enough prayer. Not enough prayer. Prayer meetings are down to just a few people. Yeah, prayer. What does prayer do for us? What does prayer do for the church? Absolutely. And, and what it does, this, I'm, I'm going to say this was deeper in the message, but it's okay. Um, some of these, these inner attitudes, I, now bring me back to this, to this questioning part. This is really, I think this is really good as we're opening up. Because this is, sometimes questions allow us to see answers. Isn't that true? Sometimes we give answers of which we haven't even asked the question. And it's just like, oh, that was nice. Sometimes when we probe, in fact, that's, that's one of the greatest things I know about any group that I've been involved in. Being part of it in learning. Or being the teacher at the front and seeing. When the students are asking questions, I I shouldn't say students, but the listener. When the listener is asking questions, they're ready to learn. Not before. So it's good for us sometimes to question to what is behind this. But given that, now I got off into the... uh, What was I going to tell you? What was I going to tell you? I don't know. What was the last point just made just now? What was it? Prayer. Prayer. Right, right? Prayer. Prayer brings us closer to God because it's really allowing us. There was, there was a thought that came to mind a couple of weeks ago. Literally, it's our will when we're praying. It's our will that melts into God's will. That word works for me, melts. That just works for me. The more I pray, the more I melt. That's submission. That's a really cool word for me. That I'm, I'm melting into God's will. Where do you think he wants me? He wants me melted into God's will. And these things that we're going to talk about, these inner attitudes allow us to even become more of that. And the more we pray, the more we see God. And that is what's probably as wrong with the church as anything today is the lack of true self-awareness seen through God awareness. If you have a small God, you are too big. And if you have a really big God, you're about the right size. <laughs> I think a lot of it's like you say, me, 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 or I. Absolutely. We, we want. Absolutely. Now, here, let's build on that because that's beautiful. See, we can spring right off of this. We're going to come back to our question what's, what's wrong with the church? One of the things that the world sees is they don't see any difference, right? One of the things that's very, very different, there's no human institution that literally can bring to it in any way, shape, or form because of me, me, I, me, and myself. And that is this word that literally, that these attributes, these internal characteristics that God or Paul has, is asking us to walk a worthy walk, and these are characteristics of the worthy walk, there is an end result, and it, it is unity. Unity. That can't humanly be possible because that's not me, myself, and I. There's no unity except me, myself, and I, which is, you take a look at our country today. You take a look at our world today. Could you make it any more divided? We've got a division for everything. And the church is much, we have, and and this isn't, I don't want to go down this trail, but it's amazing how even within the church, and I'm talking about using the things that we should be unified around, and that is the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, you're not part of the church. Because that's what makes you there. But we have different denominations that are really 
uh, what do we say? Accelerating or amplifying the differences. Right? You know what? The Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Baptists, and I could go on for another 10 minutes. They're all going one place if they've trusted Christ. And I'm proud to say, I'm proud because of God. Pride is, see, see, how, see how scary that is? You don't even like it either. I hate the word pride, actually. But to say that God is behind all of that, and he's the reason that we are going to one heaven. And there is one Savior. See, this passage is a lot about one. Unity. Unity. That is really culminating. We've gotten way ahead of ourselves, but I'm not sure that the two things within the church is individual self-awareness is totally misaligned because of things that you said. We haven't put God first. We're not praying enough. There's a lot of me. Somebody said, Lois, what did you say? Do you remember? It's too far back. Thankful. 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 And and why aren't we thankful? Thank you. (laughs) Very nice. That was very nice. Very well done. Well done. All of those things tie together because the front and the back are totally misaligned. And that is when our self-awareness is wrong, then we certainly are not going to have the end result of unity. To, to, absolutely, absolutely. We, we, well, in fact, I, I'm going to say something. I don't have a statistic for this. Now, I can't imagine, and, and, and throw me out. I mean, if I come up to this, to this place to teach you, and I'm not teaching, the Holy Spirit is. I'm only just a mouthpiece. If I fail to bring this book, the Bible, to the front, and it alone, you throw me out that door. You have my permission because I have apparently missed something. How many churches today met or are going to meet that don't even use the Bible exclusively? That's how man's laws get into the church. That's how traditions get above God's laws. And when we do that, we are in trouble. And that's how families disintegrate. I was in a conversation... I haven't even touched my notes so far. Where's this going to go? This, this sounds like a three-weeker, right? <laughs> Sadly, I, I was in a conversation with a, with a person that talked about, and it was healing for that person to just be able to, you know, sometimes just listening. She didn't want any advice. She wasn't ready. Why? Why? She, needs to, she needs to release. And I'm just listening, asking questions. And at the end of it, she has never, ever had a father figure, biological father or any stepfather, any father figure in her life of which she could truly trust. Maybe cry. Isn't it true? And I, I made this statement. I, I don't know that it went too far, but you don't, I, it's not my responsibility. I said, you know what I feel so badly about for you today is for you to be 45 years of age. I can feel some of the pain, some of the hurt, but to know that you have never had a father figure that you could trust. That makes it so hard for you to be able to trust God. Then it got really quiet. I don't know what God's going to do. But that's absolutely true, isn't it? And there's, that's, that's, that's why God made families. That's why he's got fathers at the head of the family. They're the ones that hold it together. and They're, they're, they're the ones that 
you can trust and respect and they provide and they protect and you know what? And no, I'm not trying to make, don't put any more pressure on you guys, fathers. You're not God. But when you depend, then you're humbly. Oh, that's a word we're going to use a lot of because that's where it all starts is humility. When that father is humble in the face of God, he becomes a fantastic father. Not because he's really good at it, but, but he's going to the father. And the more you go to the father, the more you become a good father. And then that child that grows up in that home is able to see what a father's like. And it makes the father, God the father, seem so expressed. There's so much on TV that's such, you know, especially the commercials. But, you know, one I really admired was the big guy that had the tutu on. And his little daughter down here, she had a tutu on. And they were both dancing. And I thought, if that's not a father-daughter, I just... See, and that's and that's what we're missing. Even now, let's talk about the commercials. How it's usually depicted: the father is the dumbest one in the family. He makes every wrong decision imaginable to them. He is totally out of sync in the sense of where that relationship that God put it together. That's what happens in normal. That that that. And you know what? Society has fulfilled that. That what the biggest problem. We, are we going to get back to this? We will. We'll come back. We're, we're out on branches. But, you know, you look at, at, the, at, the, at the black community today in the sense of incarceration, and you look at the mess that that's in, the two things that are super, super important to them is the abortion rate is almost twice as high as any other nationality and followed by the fatherlessness. Isn't that something? 78% Bill O'Reilly did a thing on it the other night. And he talked with this black man that's a friend of his. And he said it's 78% black men not in the home. That is so high. To white males, it's 28%. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder? And that's what he was saying. That's what's breaked. That's what's broke. That's what's breaking this nation. That's what's breaking this nation. And that's what. Excuse me. Absolutely. Well, there's, been, there's two sides from the very outset. When Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden, there was two sides. There was two sides. It was me and it was God. And the only way you can come to God is through humbly repenting. There is no other way. You can't meet God with pride. <laughs> Thank you, right? It's good. That's why Satan, right? So that's why in the first six verses of a new section in Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul says, I want you to walk worthy. So let's talk about, now some of we've already done in recent weeks, but let's talk about these characteristics that are not external. They are not. He's not trying to give you a to-do list that's on the wall and you come, oh, I failed again. No, 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 no. He's starting where it needs to start. That's on the inside. It starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. The first thing, and they, by the way, these things will grow on one another. They build on top of one another. We've talked the reasons. For, we've talked about the reason for the walking worthy, and it's for unity. There's two things I'd like to say in that. Why, why does God want unity? Let's read that. Let's see it one more time. Uh, chapter four of Ephesians. Let's read the first three verses because it lays it out. I therefore, Paul, I'm saying, because of the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. I'm, I'm commanding, I'm just urging you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. All of those things we talk about in chapter 3, make it happen. 
with all lowliness, that would be humility, and meekness, and with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. There's four things. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The, the, the unity is what he really is wanting as the reason for those characteristics that are within your heart so that you walk worthy. Why is unity so important? Why does God want unity in the church? Now, carefully again, now he's, Paul is speaking to Christians here. Okay, Be very careful. This is very important. You are not to be at one with the world. This is not unity with the world. I want to be very clear here. If you go to verse 1, Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to the saints. This is a Christian love letter. Okay? Unity within the church is what really God wants. Why? Why does, why does God want unity? What's, yes? Generally, when you're in unity, you're all walking in the same direction. You're going for the same goal. And uh, every, you know, everything is decent in order. So that means we're all looking out for ourselves, right? We're just all... Uh, no, he, we're you're, all exa- you're exactly right. You're looking at it as a team where Christ is the head. And that's what's different. You take any other corporation, company, you name it, anything, and somewhere in there, there is a power struggle. There's not literally unity when you tear it apart. They work as a team, potentially, to get money. Okay? There's someone that... There's an overarching direction, but when you talk about the church, we should be there because we are following our Savior... Our master, our Lord, our King, our God. Let's say what Jesus. Let's see what Jesus said here for a moment. Let's go to John chapter thirteen. John thirteen, and let's start in verse thirty-four. I think I'll get there in a moment here. Yeah, verse thirty-four. John thirteen thirty-four. He's speaking to his disciples. In fact, what's coming up is he's talking about his departure. He's beginning to let his, he declares them, and actually little children, verse 33, he's talking to his disciples. Verse 34, he says this, John chapter 13, a new commandment I give unto you. Listen up, guys, this is brand new. This is something I want you to get, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also would love one another. By this, by that, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. You see, that loving unity in the church will show the world literally of a supernatural origin. That doesn't just happen. That doesn't happen. In the church, literally, uh, and we're going to talk about this in a forbearing love. That's the fourth inward characteristic. That doesn't just happen. Right? No, it doesn't. So one of the things that's the reason for the unity is the fact that literally by unity itself, it shows... That it's of supernatural origin. This is special. The church would stick out. People would know, literally, that you are my disciples because you love one another. John chapter 17, verse 23. Just spin over there a chapter or two. John chapter 17, verse 23. John 17, 23. I in them, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I, Jesus, in them, his disciples, and thou, the Father, in me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one. And watch, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Isn't that, do you see it? Unity, the very essence of unity between the church of which Jesus Christ died for and God 
all come together and make that look exactly what it is, supernatural. The other thing is, is only when the church is one is literate able to manifest Christ. There's no way that the church can manifest Christ if it's not in unity. In unity. Take a look for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read a portion of this. I, I, it, it would be some homework. You're going to have a couple of sessions of homework. You've been away for a couple, we've been away from here for a couple of weeks. So, so we're overdue on homework. So jot this one down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and about verses 12 through 31. Let's just begin reading and get a sense of this. How it's manifesting Christ when there's one body and many members that are working for the one body. Verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. See, this is all, you can see Paul making some of the same, same, what should we say, exhortations here in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. There's a lot about one going on, isn't there? A lot. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, and in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. I'm going to let you finish that session. But what you'll see is the eye, in this case, which would be part of a body, does it function only for its own good? Heavens, no. And if, if you've got a foot that hurts, literally the rest of the body is there to support it. It goes to it. That's exactly the picture of what we're wanting to see here. When we're walking worthy, that is walking in unity. So that the world sees the difference between it and what Christ has created. Now the other thing, this is ahead of ourselves, but nothing wrong with review. Let's go back to, uh, because now your mind's working. I think it's working. Ephesians chapter 4, so you're, you know, we're, now we're going at the end. This is way at the end of our session, but sometimes if we start early and we don't know where we're going to end, it's good to start there anyway. That made no sense. <laughs> Unity. So now you're saying, okay, now wait a minute. Okay, so we're supposed to walk worthy. I got that, Larry. I got that. That's the number one thing is Paul wants us to walk worthy of the calling that we are, of everything we are in Jesus Christ. That should be hitting the ground, hitting the rubber meeting the road. It starts in the heart. Got it. Now we're going to look at these inner qualities, and it's all for one purpose. That's so that we're in unity. The church, the living organism of which Christ is the head, it's in unity because God can do serious stuff with the world when we as individual members are working for the good of the unity of the church. I got it. And you know where you want to go? You want to make that unity, don't you? Give me the unity list. Tell me, let's start writing stuff down. How can we be unified? We're going we're gonna to be unified. Right? Because that's how we're built. You know what? I got really great news for you. That work's been done. That work's all done. You don't have to unify anything. What? What are you saying? I'm saying that that work's been finished. Let's take and read it. Now, read it carefully with that thought in mind. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. 
and verse 3. Now, again, we're, we're way down the list, but endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Did it tell you to create it? What did it say? What's the word? Keep. Keep. You're not responsible for building the unity. You're not responsible for having creative meetings on making unity. No. If it was up to us, we would really mess it up because you know what? It would come from a human form and it's not possible of doing that. We just have to keep the unity. And now you go back, how do we do that? Now you ask the right question. Aren't you glad you asked it? A worthy walk. Let's talk about these inner attitudes. Now, some of them we'll go through rather quickly because we've already been down them. But verse 2, we find them. This is how you walk worthy. With all lowliness. Okay, you, you refresh for me. Tell me what lowliness is. Tell me about that. Now, by the way, we will do this. I'm going to write these down today because I think I'll write them down if I can find another. There we go. We got stuff. This literally one grows on top of the next. You can't go and have one of these four. Let's say you want to have forbearing love without the previous three. can't happen. It won't happen. If it, it won't work that way. This is a starting point that builds and builds and builds. And when you're at the end of those, unity literally is yours in Christ because he created it and we can keep it when these four inner qualities are part of who we are. So number one, it says lowliness. That sounds like a fantastic place to start. What does that mean? When's the last time that you guys went somewhere and you said, I, you know, I've really been working on my lowliness. And it's coming around. <laughs> You're laughing. That's, that's absurd. In fact, it's, you know, I, I think I'll get another cup of coffee. Catch you later. <laughs> right? That's not how you start conversations. That ain't even how you finish them. How are you doing in your lowliness walk, buddy? <laughs> He's on top of it, right? We need to talk more, right? But see, that's so, that's so foreign, isn't it? Because that's usually what happens. God's ways are so much higher than ours. We may know where we want to get to, but this literally, folks, if you don't start right here with lowliness, or the word we're going to use is humility. Humility. This is where it all starts, which we said numbers of times. Behind every sin is pride, and behind all sin is a separation from God. You can't get close to God with pride. It's impossible. If you, if, if you say you've found God and you've, not, and you've done it with pride, you don't know what you've said. It's impossible to do that. Satan started with pride, ended with pride. He cannot ever, possibly, because of just the very stature and the way the limitations are with the angelic hosts, it's over. And it was pride that separated it. He made himself higher than he should have made himself. We very honestly follow that pattern every single day. We think more of ourselves than we ought to think. Pride does that. Humility. Let's, let's go to a couple of passages. I, we may have shared those before, but um, James chapter 4, verse 10. Let's go there for a moment. We'll be right back in Ephesians momentarily, so just hold your place. Let's go to James chapter 4 and verse 10. James 4.10. <clears throat> Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, I read that verse. I read that verse because uh, we sometimes... Now, I will say it's easier for trials. Remember, we talked, we've had a lot of sessions in trials. The trials are good for us. Do you know why trials are good for us? They make us humble. <laughs> But that verse is for you because you know what? You 
have the ability to humble yourself. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at that toward the end of the session today. It literally, this may this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, where literally he humbled himself. You are asked on that occasion, plus others, to humble yourself. It's so hard for us because we have so much other stuff that we don't like to admit is there. Pride. Humble yourself. Now, trials, what, okay, let, let, remember our little, remember my little, Movement here in James chapter 1. Uh, trials, we should have joy because trials make us, not quite, just about. <laughs> trials allow us to endure. And then endure is to mature. We go from trials to endure to mature. Isn't that great? It's just that simple. It's not that simple. <laughs> Isn't it? It's so hard. It's so, but you know what? It really is that simple. And you know, in that whole process, do you know what God wants more of because of trials? Humility. Because that's the starting point. That's the basic beginning building block. If you think about a car, there's a lot of components. It's amazing how all this stuff's tied together, right? You got that engine, you'll pop that hood and you say, if you're not a mechanic, wow, there's a lot of stuff there. And you know what? Now, there's some outside external components that don't have to work to get you to be able to be transported around, right? But there are certain things you've got to have in the right sequence, connected to the right connections, for that to be of any value. And by the way, a car is not to get in and to just listen to the radio. You don't go anywhere, you just sit there, right? That's not a car. But what if... It's a mobile stereo system. <laughs> right, right. And that's kind of like Christianity not being unity. Isn't it true? We're not going anywhere. Right? It's just a mobile sound, or a stationary sound system. But we got in and we had fun and there was people in there and we did nothing. That was too loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? We didn't use the motor. We didn't use the transmission. We didn't use anything that was really the car was designed to do. And literally, that's the church without being unified. That's what happens. Nothing happens. So, yeah. are we getting too... No, we're doing right, aren't we? This is exactly where God wants us today. So how do you get the motor started? Just turn the key? Okay. Push a button. Okay. Okay. It needs fuel. Oh, it needs fuel too. Ooh. Where does a Christian get fuel? God's word, prayer, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's what fills your tank. That's what you're doing. You know, you guys came to get a fill today. And God is so good. When we come to him using his word... He fills us. He energizes us. He brings us what we need to get through that next. We don't know. You know, another thing about the journey of outgoing with God is we don't know exactly where that roadmap's going to take us. But this is what keeps us to get through those tough circumstances. This is what gets us through the tough people. This is what gets us to be able to submit, to melt into God's will. These are the moments of energizing and filling the tank. Right? So we got a motor in the, under the hood. You pop the hood and you say, whoa, I don't understand all this stuff, but I'll just close it because I know if I turn the key, it starts, and then I can put, it in tra- put the transmission in drive, and away we go. But what if the key's not hooked to anything? Oh. <laughs> Have you ever had something where, where you turn the key and it goes click, 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 click? What, did we ha- what don't we have? A battery. Battery's important. The battery's connected to the key bone. The battery bones connected to the starter bone. 
Because what, what starter? Well, yeah, for those of you that don't know, there's a connection from the battery to the starter, which engages into the flywheel. Now, I'm not going to go too deep, gals. <laughs> because somehow we've got to have a way to start the engine. And it's not just the key. The key is the control device that allows us to start the engine, and that's called humility. Otherwise, it's not under control. Because humility is the driver to the next attribute, attitude, and it's called meekness. And that is power under control. That car is under the control of that person that's sitting in the seat, has control of the key, of the transmission, and all of those in the throttle. That's right. All of that. See, it comes into play, but the key is what makes it all work. And the key, you must remember this, the key to Christian living is something I hadn't written down yet, but I will shortly, and it's called humility. The humility drives everything. If you don't have the key to humility, you will sit in the car and just sit there. Did I say that loud enough? Okay. Humility. The second one, because if we don't move on here, we, you don't know how long my notes are today, do you? Maybe this, this is it. We'll break. We'll break. So we go from humility to, what's the next one I've given it away? Meekness. 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 There's another one. Ernie, uh, as you maybe went into Walter's, dropped down to the basement, said, you know, I'm just a little short on lowliness and meekness. Do you have any of that I could get in here? <laughs> Joe, no, he's <laughs> <laughs> He got me again, boy. Ernie's on his game. Right? That was the wrong department, wasn't it? It was the wrong department. But let's go to, oh, no, I'm Anyway. <laughs> go to a big box store. That's right. I was going to, okay. And you said, I'd like to get a, I, I tell you what, I'm so, I'm running so low and I only come to town once a month. I want to get a big box of meekness. I'm going to try that sometime. I'm just going to see what they're going to say. The poor person, right? A what? <laughs> Let me go check with my manager. Yeah, can I come with? I want to ask him too, right? Okay. Do you see, do you see how off-label off this stuff is? That's not, what, uh, that's not what the world preaches. In fact, this, this uh, lady that I was talking to, I let her talk, and she is seeking happiness. She's looking for a life that she hasn't found yet. And I said, if you're looking strictly to be happy... You won't be. And it got quiet again, and she said, I think you're right. I said, I don't know if I'm right. I know the Bible's right. Because it comes outside of ourselves. And it only can come through God. There's only a way for that to happen. Meekness. Um, do you, oh, yeah, I know. We use Paul as an example for that, right? You were a lion tamer, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we have this engine that's wild. It's 600 horsepower. It's sitting in a, in a raw, fast, red Camaro. And you've turned it on. You've started that engine. You've started that engine. And that engine left to itself will race and go places that will scare you. But... If we've got it tamed, if we've got control of the throttle, we've got control of the air, we've got control of the ignition, we've got control of everything that makes that engine what it makes, guess what? It is meek because it's under control. 
That's when Paul tamed this lion a couple of weeks ago. How's that lion doing, by the way, it's Paul? It's doing really well. Doing really well. <laughs> doing really well. That lion, we didn't change its nature, did we? We didn't change its power. We didn't change how it's made. We didn't change infrastructure. What we've done is we've controlled it. And that's literally what humility does to our wills. When you are in a situation and someone has really hurt you, really maimed you, really taken you out, it is so easy for us to get into that seat and want to take a revenge, retaliate. None of those words are in the definition of meekness. They're not there. Because they're not part of humility. You see, you will never be meek. Mark this carefully. I told you these would build on one another. Meekness is birthed out of humility. You can't start with meekness and get humble. No, 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 no. This is the beginning point. Humility. And this is, let's say it again. We've said it a couple times today already. How do we humble ourselves? How do we get there? You may go home and say, well... Larry made it pretty clear. The Bible, don't say I made it clear. The Bible is clear that we are to humble ourselves. We are, and it's so hard for me. So what would you tell yourself when you get to the mirror and you say, Larry, this is for me, obviously. Larry, what am I going to do to make myself more humble? Pray for more trials? I'd rather go the other way. But, <laughs> but God will use those because you know what? He wants you to be like Christ. He wants you to mature. He wants you to learn that maturity comes through endurance. And endurance comes through trials. He will bring it. He will bring whatever you need to make you exactly what is best for you. Isn't that what's really cool about God? He's going to do exactly what you need to be the very best for you, and he's going to continue to put pressure on until you yield to the Holy Spirit. You choose not to yield to the Holy Spirit, guess what? There's more trials coming. So what can help me and you to be able to humble ourselves Be able to see yourself the way that God sees you. Exactly. Self-awareness through proper God-awareness. Because when we see who God is, then it's pretty clear who we are. And when Remember, Joe, I like this. Oh, more homework. More homework. Right? You guys say, come on. Go to Job 38. Not now. This is, for, this is really homework. Job 38 through 42. Uh, Job is on a run, and he's had friends over. They came on invited, unannounced. I don't know who fed them. Did you, did you know who, who fed those friends as they were gathering? I don't know. They were a long time there, too. Yeah, let's have supper. I don't know if they did. They just, it was a long round. It was, go, go on, right? It was a brawl kind of a thing. Gets all done, and guess what's happening to Job? He's becoming a little bit more self-righteous. Have you ever done that? Where you really felt that you haven't done anything wrong, and God's kind of picked on you a little bit, and then friends come over. Well, you must have done something wrong. It's up to you. I know, you know, God, you, you must have done something. That's exactly what happened to Job. And finally, at the end, he says, wait a minute. I haven't done anything wrong. And by the way, he hadn't done anything wrong. But you know what's happening? He's thinking a little bit more about himself. Did you, do you see it? It takes 38 chapters, but literally goes from the right answer, does the right thing, does it in the right way, and he says, may God be praised. May he be worshipped. Right? And then the friends come over. And he becomes a little more defensive. And a little more defensive. And they get a little more defensive. And pretty soon at the end, Job is really on top of a little bit of a mountain, and there's not a lot of humbleness in there. And in chapter 38, he comes on board, God does, and he says, he answers in the whirlwind, and he says, Job, i got some questions for you. You go through that list of questions. And Job answered, he said, I am vile. That's the word that's in the King James. I'm nothing. But that wasn't what God was looking for yet. Because something had happened in this little 38 chapters of, of this raising up, Something hadn't happened yet. So God went to another session. How would you like to have another session of God asking questions about where stuff started? Where did the oceans come from, smart guy? But you don't lose any water. 
How does that surf come up and go back? But nothing, you, you get what I'm saying. There's questions of, I don't know, <laughs> right? He asked him again, but something is very, very critical in chapter 42 of Job. And Job said this, I repent. I repent. And you know what God did? He pulled the pressure off. That's where he wants us because when we're ready to repent of what we know is wrong, then we're humble. That means we've seen God in his proper perspective. That puts us in the proper perspective. And guess what? Humility then is part of us. And when humility is part of us, meekness is the next add-on. It's the next characteristic that becomes. Then when we have that ability to retaliate, to have revenge, to whatever it might be, where that bitterness is harbored. And that was another thing. This person that I spoke to this week, bitterness is deep, deep, deep. Now, again, not wanting to take away anything of the hurt and the pain that that person has had, but bitterness will destroy you from the inside. It will eat your life away. And meekness is that thing, you know what? I'm going to release that person, whoever that person is or persons. God, they're your stuff. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for me that we get this melting of my will into yours because I know you, God, know exactly what's best for me and them. That's meekness. That's meekness. Now, the third one, which we haven't done that much about, is what is it? Yeah, long-suffering or patience. Tell me about that. That's another fun one. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. How long? <laughs> yeah, how long? How long, right? How long? That's what they ask in the book of Revelation. Yeah, how long? And it's still not yet, right? How long? How long is this going to go on? Endurance. That's basically there we go. What, let's go back to James chapter 1, right? Yeah. Trials bring endurance. endurance, which brings maturity. There you go, right? Look at this. So, now here, did you see that? And I want to bring this up because that's important. Do you know why we have trouble with the trials? Is because we want to start right there and we have to start back here. That's why we can have joy in trials if we're humble. If you're not humble, the first set of trials are going to be a little bit more taxing because it builds humility. The next ones that come around, guess who's in charge? God is a little more in charge. Meekness becomes part of that. Long-suffering. Let's talk about long-suffering. Let's talk about that for a moment. There's three things that we react to to have a proper sense of long-suffering. One is you never give in to negative circumstances. You just never give in to them. Circumstances should have nothing over you. Now, you'll go through them. Now, we are, I, I, again, I like that, that what do they call that, uh, a, light, a lighthouse, right? There's a lot of storm going on in that picture there. And those that aren't able to see this picture, it's, it's, it's a lighthouse of which there's a man standing in the, in an out, he's outdoors, sort of, and he's looking, and the, and the sea is as rough and wild and as crazy as you could possibly make. The tempest is beyond belief, but he's very secure. Why? Because it's not about him. He's not an, he has a rock. He has a fortress. That's who God is to us in circumstances. We can have long-suffering when we've approached God with humility and with meekness, and long-suffering begins to take over when we've released the sense of our control. Never give in to circumstances. Never. 
Never. You say, well, that's easily said. Well, let's go to, um, let's talk about some people, because it's nice to see examples. If I just lift it there, you'd say, oh, that's great. Right? Let's, uh, let's think about, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at a man by the name of Abram. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. What do you know about Abram? Tell me about him while we're turning there. What do you know about Abram? Okay, not very much. Very good. <laughs> he had to wait a long time. That's what I was hoping to get. Yeah, I was going to, Abram, let's see now. Let's see. Boy, we're going to have to start way back. Because if I just tell you about with this verse, and, and you say, well, I don't know who that guy is. But you guys knew Abram. You just were a little bit quiet there, right? Abram was that one that God, he was like 900 miles away from where God really wanted him. And he comes to him one day. And he said, Abram, I want you to leave this place, and I'll take you somewhere I want to show you. No maps. No, nothing, just go. And then at some point along that, tr- that journey, he says, Abram, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to bless you like no one's ever blessed someone before. You're going to have descendants like the sand of the sea, and on another occasion, like the stars of the sky, which it's thought that that's the same number, actually, pretty close. That's a lot. That's a lot. A lot. And it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? It's just really hard to comprehend all of that. And But it does say in another chapter in the Bible that, Abraham believed him. Poof, that's pretty good, isn't it? So what do you think now if you believed him? What do you think Abraham's time schedule was? What do you think his time frame was? Now, keep again, we're talking about long suffering. When's the last time you had a promise made to you and you said, good, we got that done. And it was probably even from God. You said, all right, I know. How about, how about your journey to heaven? Do you, do you believe you're going to go to heaven? You just don't know what day it is, right? Right? But is the promise any less secure? No. See, I like how you're answering. Abram, how many years went by? Right? And we had a few mistakes in there too, right? Remember there was the, we couldn't wait for God? Have you ever been the long-suffering and it's like, I cannot wait anymore. I have to do something, right? And so Sarah says, Abram, you have waited long enough. We've got to have the first descendant to have more descendants. So I don't know what's happening. I'm barren. You're apparently not, it's not working. So let's get... Hagar, who was picked up as a baggage, part of a baggage thing in Egypt because he went where he wasn't supposed to go. Have you ever seen that? Life is so full of decisions and choices that when you go somewhere, you make a bad choice, you get a few things to come with. Right? It's true. It's absolutely true. Choices are so incredibly important. And he made some bad choices, but here we go. And, and Sarah does more wrong choices with the choices that we shouldn't have made in the first place. And here we are, and she makes this choice, and we have another. Not so much God's way. You know what that turned into? We have the Arab-Israeli conflict that's going to go on to the end of this. It's not going to stop. And that was all. Think of that. Do you, do you see where me and my and all of that comes into play? But that, let's get off subject. 25 t- years take place until Isaac shows up. The first one. That's long-suffering. And I want you to see what the Bible says about Abram. Now, again, Abram had some days that weren't okay, but it was still okay. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. Let's go there a moment. We'll start in verse 13. 6, 13 in Hebrews. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, that's pretty cool. You know when God makes a promise? (laughs) It's on his name. There's no one greater. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply. Now, watch verse 15. And so... After he had patiently endured. That's like the two enduring words coming together. He obtained the promise. He took circumstances and was not in any way, shape, or form stymied by them ultimately. 
Made a few mistakes, but nonetheless, still, he stuck with it. Think of another one. Let's think of another person in the Bible. Showed endurance, showed long-suffering. He must have been the only one, right? Job. Job, yeah. Excuse me? David. David, yeah. There were some moments there, wasn't there? Years, difficulties. That's the one I was thinking of, was Noah. How would you like to get this message? You get this certified letter in the mail. Dear Noah, God here, I want you to build an ark. Here's the specifications and dimensions. It's going to rain and flood the earth. A couple of problems. It's never rained before. Flooding, you don't even know what that is. In fact, nobody knows even what an ark looks like. I don't even know if it came with pictures. Probably not, because it was described verbally. He probably wrote it down. He's got it all the... But trust me, I mean, it was clear because he knew what he was doing. God would never leave us to not know what we need to do. Mark that again. He never leaves us unclear as to what we are to do for the step before us. You are to take that step, wait for further instructions. What we want to do is we want to go to the end of the game and know all the steps it takes to get there. Do you know what, do you know what God left out of Noah's little deal? 120 years. What do you think Noah did? He went down to the hardware store, and he went down to the lumber yard, and he started buying stuff, and he's building on the, on the garage deck there, and his wife said, what are you doing, honey? Oh, we're building an ark. How long is it going to take? Oh, I don't know. It'll take a while, but I better, I better hurry. 120 years later. Did, say that out loud, please. Yeah, and they lived longer. That's okay, but 120 years of how many? How old was Noah when he died? He was 500, right, when they, when they hit. And how long, did he, how long did he live on? I don't know. I'm asking right now. I can research. Let's, let's just say 600 years old. Did you get that? 20% of his life was building an ark. Right? That would be like, okay, so you live to be 70 or 80. Let's just say 70. 20% is 14 years. You're building a boat in your front yard for 14 years. Are you still doing that? Oh, I'm sorry. You're still working on that. Right? That's called endurance. And God told him to do that. Has God told you to do something and you're trying to figure out how long it's going to take? That's where long-suffering comes in. You know what starts at? It takes humility, meekness, and then long-suffering comes as a result. So God says walk worthy and it'll take the rest of your life. That's exactly right. And it'll take every day of your life, right? Because it builds on and it gets more. Because you don't, you don't automatically, you know, automatically, you don't get to a point... Filled my humility tank. I don't ever have to do any more humility work because I got it. Now you've got to start over. <laughs> right? That was a tank cleanse. <laughs> no, it's not like that. In fact, every day that you walk worthy allows you to walk a little more worthy, and you look a little bit more like Christ. And we're hoping even, as I prayed before we started this session, that at the end of these moments we've had together, that you look just a little bit more like Christ. And it starts on the inside. You have to look like Christ on the inside before you look like that on the outside. Because it's an inside deal. It starts in the heart. Think of Moses. <laughs> Starting out strong, right? Woo! We're living in Pharaoh's house. How, how much better could that be? You know, number two to the Pharaoh guy, right? And then you say, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't my team. This isn't my people. And you do it all wrong. You get in a hurry. You get in a hurry. Long-suffering never gets in a hurry. Doesn't that seem so hard for you? Like, I think it was Ernie just said, I want patience and I want it now. You know how effective that is? Not very good. Not very good. We could talk about Jeremiah. There's a guy. God says, I got a message for you, and nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to throw in jail. They're going to throw rocks at you. And they're going to do it for the rest of your life. 
Oh, good. <laughs> what else can I do to have a right? And that's and by the way, that's exactly what happened. But where's Jeremiah today? He's safe. He's safe. He's safe. We could talk about Isaiah. We could talk about Paul. We could talk about a lot of people. But let's keep moving. Never give in to negative circumstances. The other one, let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Sometimes there's just not circumstances, but there's people that go with the circumstances that make it so annoying. Right? Hoping somebody would say something. Yeah, there we go. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse fourteen. The verse—it's—it's it's a little bit more extensive, but we're going to focus on the last part. But let's start. Verse fourteen, chapter five, First Thessalonians. Now we exhort you, brethren. We're encouraging you to warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Be patient toward all men. Long suffering takes anything that people can dish out. Sometimes, by, by the way, there's sometimes, and I, I mean, it takes time to result, but sometimes people say something that's hard, but they're right. Because there may be just a skosh of pride left in us, right? Just, just a little tiny bit, and you don't want to really hear that. But they were right when you take a step back. Those are people you need to listen to. God, what did you want me to get from that? I didn't like it. I didn't really want to hear it. But was there something in there that, that was really right that you and I need to talk about? Oh, that's good about prayer, isn't it? Isn't that right? And then there's other stuff that's really meant is to divert you away. You know what? You leave that lay. Whatever people bring, long-suffering, and allow it to just, you take the good, you leave the bad. You leave the bad. Be patient with, towards all men. The third part of long-suffering is not only circumstances, people, but it's also God. This sometimes is really hard for us because of the choices that we allow ourselves to make. As we're waiting for God to do stuff, he's working on us, is for us to accept his plan. You see, that's what Abram did, right? He and Sarah. Uh, how, how much, how much, when did they come up with the uh, Ishmael plan? That was how, what year going in. It was, I should have done a little more research. I, I, my, my, I don't remember. Anyway, he waited 25 for Isaac, but it was, uh, what? I don't know. Well, Isaac was 13. That's what I thought. When Isaac was born. Okay, so, so we're, like, we're like 12 years in of the 25. And again, Abram didn't know if it would last. You know, really, no, let's, again, this happens in our own lives. We make stupid choices because we just see there's no way this is ever going to happen the right way. Right? To Abram and Sarah, they were 12 years into this wait, and it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Let's do it ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> let's help God. No, no, let's help God. <laughs> It looks like a sign to me. God told me. Have you heard those things? <laughs> so think of that. Twelve years in. Time's up. Got to go. Got to get it done. Did God say that? What did they say then? They said, God, we're not going to wait for you. I know our lives many times say that. I've done that. I'm not willing to wait anymore. I got to go. I got to do something. Isn't that just like us? You know what happens? It's wrong. <laughs> it's, not, it's never a good ending, is it? Now, it's amazing sometimes God is so, he's so full of mercy. When you rush out and you're going to help, he's kind of like Moses. You know, his life should have been over. He's 40 years old. He kills, he kills a, an Egyptian. He runs off. He's herding sheep for 40 years. Oh, my goodness. My life's over, right? He's 80 years old. He's a worn-out sheep herder. 
what would you think? What would you think right now? Do you think he's learning patience? What was said of Moses, even by the Lord Jesus Christ? He was the meekest man in the world. Do you see where we're at? What did he learn for 40 years? Sheep will teach you humility. (laughs) And that's how you get to be meek. And that's how he was long-suffering. He was 40 years in the desert herding sheep. And then God comes to him and says, Moses. Oh, that burning bush. Remember that thing? Right. And he didn't want to go, did he? He didn't think he was worthy. That was just the right time. Just the right time. Just the right time. Isn't that amazing? What long-suffering did to that man? Look at his life. What did Moses... This is perfect. It's not even in my notes. What was the first thing that Moses had to learn? Who did he think he was? Pretty special. He's in Pharaoh's house. He's got a lot of stuff going for him. And he saw... By the way, he saw God's people. He saw his connection. That's all good. But he had to learn humility. These two are closely related, aren't they? Long-suffering and meekness. All three of those are learned attributes, and they build on one another. We've got to keep moving. Number four. Number four. Oh, stop for a moment. There's another. We haven't even mentioned this. Who would you say that would be the best example of every? Let's put one more on. We're going to put number four. We're going to put number four on. And that one. Let's read, let's read it together one more time. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. It says, With all lowliness, that's humility, and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We're going to call this forbearing love. Now, if you were to look up that word love, and the Greek has many words for love, the three that you might be the most familiar with is... Well, let's just talk about them. There are these. There, and then there's actually a number of others, but these are the most common. We have eros, phileo, oops, and we have agape, or agapao. So what do you know about, let, let's, just, let's just, just take these for a moment, okay? Eros is, let's just break it down. It would be a get kind of a love. We're, we want something. We're loving, we're giving love because we want something. So we're going to call that a get kind of a love. We're doing it so we get something. That's how the world is really structured, isn't it? That's how, it's, that's how it works. Now, phileo is, that's, yeah, brother, in other words, a give and a get. I give, I get. Right? So that's a give and get. That's kind of a back and forth. Now, these, these two are sort of... They're okay, aren't they? They're easy. Er. What does agape say? Oh, and which one do you think this one is in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3? It's agape. It's agape. Now tell me about agape. Let's, let's talk about it. Unconditional. Unconditional love, right, isn't it? Unconditional. In other words, this is just a... Are you ready? Let's say it. It's hard to even say. It's a give. No get. <laughs> Maybe. But if you do it with that intention... It's not agape. Right? Well, that sounds easy. No, not so much. Not so much. How do you get there? In fact, did you see? It's not easy. And you won't get to forbearing love if you don't start with humility. And meekness and long-suffering. And then forbearing love becomes that birthing out of long-suffering. 
now. With those four things, these are, see how easy this is? You can do the worthy walk. You just have four, those four characteristics and you are on your way to worthy walking. Unity is yours and a bond of peace for keeping the, keeping the unity that the Spirit has created. Isn't that easy? Amen. Let's go home, right? <laughs> Fill me up, right? So these four tell me one person they are clearly depicted in without question. I mean, amazingly. Amazing. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's why it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly right, right? This, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. Where did it start? Where did Jesus Christ really start his, his I'm going to say his journey through this humanness, this sacrifice and all of this? When he humbled himself. Isn't that absolutely true? He is a perfect example of every one of those. He's on the cross. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. What do you mean? If Father forgives them, what is he really saying? He's asking the Father to save them, to go to heaven. Someone that's killing him. That is called forbearing love. When someone really hurts you, for you to be able to agape, agapao them, that's outside of yourself. You will never get there until you've experienced long suffering and meekness and humility. Do you see how this grows? Do you see why we have such trouble with, humility, with, with unity in the church today? You won't get unity without these four characteristics. Do you know why the world isn't affected by Christianity today? Because those things aren't present in the church. If they're not present in the church, there's no unity. The Spirit isn't with us. I'm not, trying to, I'm not standing here condemning you. I'm just saying, this is what's wrong. And it's important we pay attention. You know, I'm thinking even, even now, stepping ahead a moment. What would you say our country needs today? Yeah, it needs all of it. And let's just talk even from a worldly standpoint. I mean, just what does it need? What, what do we need right now? Jesus. <laughs> we need a lot of Jesus, don't we? But even if you need God. Let's just talk. Divided, see? And see, see do you see that? You, this is, this is, if there's anything in this message that Paul is trying to say in six verses of just starting this whole thing out, that's why I love Ephesians. It's so rich. We could spend a long time right here. And no, I won't. Okay, we're going to keep moving. Okay? But just think of this. These four things right here breed unity. And the United States is so divided, so broken. I shouldn't just say the United States. The world... The world, there is nations upon nations upon nations that following exactly the same thing where it's a power struggle and sin and all of Satan's tactics and societal peer pressure and all of those things going on. These four things would totally change the world. And the only way they can do that is to have Jesus, the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, this is important. There is one spirit and that one spirit is in every single person that's a Christian. Everything we need to be unified is there. This is what we have to focus on, and we have to start with humility. And that's why if you aren't humble, that's an inside thing. I'm, I'm not here to say you are or aren't. And it's hard to pray for trials, or he will bring them, because that's how it happens. That's why it's joyful, because look at this. Just think of this. If you get the humility thing right, oh, game on. Get it. In fact, that word endeavor, I just thought of it right now. I'm on a roll. Now, this is fun. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at that word, verse 3. Chapter 3. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity. Do you know what that word means, endeavoring? Get on it. (laughs) Right? Move. In fact, Paul even uses it with Titus and Timothy. 
in, in, it's in 2 Timothy, there's two, verse 9, write this down, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 21. He says, come with all diligence before the winter sets in. In all diligence, that's the, exactly the same word that we have in the sense of endeavor, and that is get it on, do it now. Isn't that good? There's no fooling around here. He wants action forbearing love let's go back to that for a moment tell me about forbearing forbearing love what does that sound like let's say that you have a fire and it's 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 getting going pretty good and and let's just say there's one i'm making this up so this might not exactly this analogy may have a few breakdowns but let's just play so we've got a we've got a fire inside what would be the worst thing that we could do right now Throw gas on. No, don't, don't do stuff like that, but just, okay, open the door. What happens? We've added fuel. And I'm sorry, we've added oxygen. We've allowed that fuel to be used more efficiently, right? Okay. So we don't want to do that. Now, what happens when we've got, let's say we're, let's say we're, we're, uh, we're taken advantage of, we're being mean-spirited treated. How do we make that situation? It's a fire now, isn't it? They've come at us and they've attacked us. What's the way to make that thing hotter? How do we make it hotter? We open the door and we release what's inside our mind and we give them a piece of it. The mind, that is. And guess what happens to that fire? Poof! And it goes bigger and hotter. That's why the Israeli-Arab conflict, what happens? You remember, what was the the McCoys and the Hatfields? Remember? I don't even know what started. It doesn't matter. But what you remember about it was this internal continued just tit for tat, right? Just go, go, go. All the time. You know what happens to that fire? How could we actually literally put that fire down? In here, we don't really have a lot of things to go with us. What, what could we do? That's right. How could we do that? With love. And you know what? That can be suppressed. This is the word that that is forbearing. It's like putting a blanket over it. And there are those fireproof blankets, aren't there? You just throw it over, and guess what happens to the fire? It doesn't have any oxygen. It doesn't have any way to generate more of what it needs. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Let's go to a couple of them. Um, Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. The word that's used in the King James is charity for love. So let's look. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity. That's, that's above and beyond love among yourselves. For charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. That same word, it's almost like a silent suppression. Suppressing silently. As you throw that blanket over, guess what? It just smothers it. Isn't that good? Let's go to Proverbs for a moment. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. Proverbs 10, 12. Oh, my goodness. I'm either have to really hurry, which I'm not very good at. You've noticed that probably. Proverbs 10, 12. I got patient. Now, this is all Ernie's fault. We are now, right now, engaged in long-suffering training. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes. See, that would be like, you got this fire and it's cooking, right? Strife going on. Let's open the door and throw a little more hateful speech on that. Right? Look at what he says next, verse 12. But love, what? Covereth sins. That is exactly what Paul is saying here in forbearing love 
It literally extinguishes that stuff that keeps the flare up, that takes the, that makes things disunifying. Forbearing. Write this in your notes. We're going to go on by it. But Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 43, you will see what Jesus says in regards to that as well. It's a love that has room for failures. It's the love that seeks others' good at any cost. That's Jesus Christ, essentially. We get to that finale, the fact of unity. That's the goal. Talked about endeavoring. I think let's let's quickly wrap this up. The Bible is literally telling us that Oh, by the way, is it easy? Have you noticed? It's easy for us to do this too. It's a lot easier for us to see problems and tell what's wrong with the problem and that there's people to blame. And, you know, we could go on for a long time. It's easy to do, isn't it? That's why they have news. That's why they have people that are interviewing people, right? You throw that, right? Do you know what this passage is saying? Did you see it's not really talking about anybody except us? The Bible is telling us when I become what I ought to be, then others will become what they ought to be and the world becomes what it ought to be. It starts in the heart. Thank you. It's going to fall down. It starts in the heart. It starts with me. You want to change the world? Do you want God to change the world? That's more important. You know where it starts? With me. He's looking for you to yield to him. And that's what's wrong with our world today. Everybody's waiting for someone else to do it. Now, there's a million reasons why you would say, I don't know what to do. In fact, I find myself sometimes bewildered by, what can I do? I look around and I'm just, you know, we don't have any bravery. We don't have any courage. We don't have a lot of things that seem to be standby. You know what's behind every brave man or woman? Humility. Do you know what's behind every courageous man or woman? Humility. That's what we're missing. And we need to see that it needs to start with me. That's what the Bible is saying. That's what it's saying. Let's take a look at some oneness. Okay? There's four verses. Let's go back to Ephesians. We'll move quickly. Uh, verse 4 is actually... Oh, my. There's a lot. Uh, you know what? I don't want to rush this. It sounds like I'm rushing, aren't I? You know. So let's just say the conclusion will be next week. So let's stay tuned. stay tuned. Yeah. So, so let's let's refresh and rehearse a few things of where we at right now because there's something that's really cool. If you take verses four through six, this is a warm up. This will bring you back next week. You know how they always got that little. You know they show you this really cool scene, right? Oh, I'm not going to do that though. No, wasn't that terrible? No, actually, if you counted the one, if you notice that God's on a one going on right now, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's one body, there's one God. There's, you go on with that? If you count from verses 4 through verses 6, how many ones are in there? Guess how many? See, you can come back with the answer next week. <laughs> 
Now you're really digging it. There's seven of them. There's seven. And what is the number seven significant of? Completion. Perfection. Do you think God's saying something here? Let's talk about oneness next week. But let's review for a moment. Okay, let's take the big picture. We've read the first three chapters from Paul's letter of Ephesians, and now we know who we are in Christ. We know what he's done. We have heavenly blessings and heavenly places. We have stuff we don't even know about beyond what we can think or comprehend or even imagine. He is over and beyond and beyond that. It's just so amazing what we are in Christ. And now he says in chapter 4, he says, Now I want you to walk worthy of that that you are. Sometimes it's even, I'm thinking of this just kind of like you've got a young man or a woman that just graduated from high school and you, can, and you lay out for them the, the abilities, the, ta- uh, the talents and all the things that God has gifted them with. What do you want them? Uh, I wouldn't do anything with that. I would just, just, just don't do anything with what's God. Of course not. What do you tell them? Walk worthy of what God has given you. That is exactly what Paul is doing here. All the things that you have now, walk worthy. But here's the key. These are characteristics of this walk. If you don't have these characteristics, then you're not walking worthy. The the easy four, right? (laughs) These are the easy four. Let's say them out loud together, class, once more. Humility, which births meekness, which births long-suffering, which births... Forbearing love, which ultimately allows us to have unity in the spirit. Now, we didn't even talk about this. Why we got to come back next week. One of the reasons. There's an overarching thing that just hits me like a truck every single time. It's the thing we are absolutely, without question, the most vacant of in this world today. Because we're absent of those. Because we don't have Jesus Christ in the hearts of men and women. And that is there's no peace. There is no peace. Where there's no peace, there is fear. Fear is tearing our world up today. Fear breeds division. Fear breeds everything that is totally contrary and anti to God's characteristics of love and peace. And did you see that? If these four, let's, I'm going to read, this is what we'll finish with. These four characteristics will, in fact, epitomize the worthy walk, which culminates in then what God is really wanting from the church, and that is unity which speaks to the world that this is something different. This is God's stuff. Now let's read how that caption, how that ends, because what it does, it also releases us into a perfect place. Verse 3, let's just, let's, just, let's just take those first three verses. Can you believe we spent about five weeks on three verses? I therefore, verse 1, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness... And meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, semicolon, endeavoring, that is, get it on, get with it, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that word bond means belt. It literally peace surrounds you. Isn't that fantastic? This book, the Bible, is so amazing for the times in which we find ourselves living. It wants to feed the world. It wants to give immunization against all of the evils of this place. And those three verses are so rich, so powerful. And I'm talking about just, if the church, forget about the world for a second. The world, if the church was doing this, if the church was fired up about those four, you couldn't keep the world away. Too much energy at the front? No. 
But next week, let's look at, we're going we're gonna to come, come back to this, re-energize in this area, and then I want you to see how important God feels that one really is. One. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your amazing wisdom. Father, we think about all the things that it seems we've lost. And yet behind them, you are clearly, fully, completely present. The search for truth for many people today is almost, it seems, they've given up. And yet, thy word is truth. The Bible is here. It's among us. You've allowed it to be refreshing to those that would use it, would treat it with respect, listen to it clearly. We think of bravery and courage and all of those things that literally are part of a nation that is looking out for those needs of others. Behind each and every one of those terms that we would describe as being lax or gone, that's literally the basis point is always the same, humility, thinking of others above ourselves. May this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Philippians chapter 2. Father, thank you for these incredibly powerful passages, these three verses that allow us as a church to see where we need to be going and how we potentially could be missing what literally could change the world, and that is the unity within the church. Father, we will need, obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit as we energize the Spirit with the Word and with our prayer, our melting our will into yours. Father, we know that the results will be amazing. Because the consequences are in your hands. You have given us everything we need. In the last number of months, we've even went back as far as to putting on the whole armor of God. You supplied everything we need to be victorious, to be more than conquerors, which is hard even to think or describe because it's beyond what we can comprehend. And yet, Father, that's what you've promised. It's ours. Father, may we utilize... May we get that key to that engine, not just sitting in the car, not just conversing. Start the engine. Make humility turn into meekness. Make that turn into long-suffering and then literally forbearing, a blanketing, a, an overarching love that's agape. The world will change. May it start in my heart today, Father. May it start in each one of these that are gathered today in their hearts. And Father, you have us where we are. We're not trying to in any way, shape, or form have a guilt-ridden session of trying to make anyone... No, 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 no. We start here right now today where we're at. And there are those that don't know Jesus Christ personally that are hearing my voice. They don't even know what I'm talking about. They haven't even tasted of a Savior. They're entrenched in sin. They can't get away from it. They are bought and sold in the slave market of sin. There's nothing they can do. Jesus Christ literally is reaching out to you, that person that is hearing that at this moment. He's reaching out in love because he died for you. He came to this world and gave all four of these attributes we've been talking about to save you. And the moment that you repent, that you trust him in faith as being your savior to take you out of the sin market because he paid the price that in that moment you have a Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells you. That beginning inner man work takes place. As you yield 
to him, you will start to see from the inside things to change. All of a sudden, there will be a place that's never been opened before to humility. Pride and self will be exited out the door. A little at a time as you yield. Oh, there will always be times that they will want to come back, but humility will begin to take place. It will be something that will be brand new. It's not something you've even thought about, but you'll think of others. And then it works into meekness and long-suffering and a love that you can't even imagine where it came from. That's what I'm talking about for you, dear friend. That can be yours when you trust Christ. Plus, the fact that your eternal destiny, we'll be talking about that next week, is fixed. There's no questions. God's promised it. He's put his name on it. He swore by himself. Just as Abram waited for 25 years, it's irrelevant to time because God created time. When he says something, he means it, and it's finished. That's the God we're praying to. Father, be with us on our journey. And for that person that may have just literally cried out before God in these moments and said, I need Jesus. There's others across this country we want to pray for, we want to lift up. This is a time when Jesus Christ needs to be widely spread throughout the land as being a Savior. May many see the light. May many hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he died, was buried, and rose again for others. He lived a life full and complete for the will of the Father to save sin-sick man. Father, we praise you. We lift your name on high. Thank you for the journey that you've given us in our lives. We don't know how long each one of our journeys last, but Father, may you allow us to see each step. Help us to focus and to choose wisely as we react in humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing love. Thank you for what you're going to do, for what you have done. We look forward to gathering together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.